Okay, uh, another great episode. We're just rolling right now on the Ortho Show. I really want to describe this one as an educational episode. We're bringing on John Knapp. He's an orthobiologics pain management specialist down in North Carolina. He is literally one of my go-to guru people when it comes to injections type things for orthobiologics, which is like PRP and BMAC. But he also uses other modalities such as shockwave. And yes, he's a big laser uh, fan, as are we. So it's a great conversation about what you as the listeners need to know about orthobiologics. How are they used? What should you be paying? What's their safety, et cetera? It's a great episode. Take out a pen and paper. You're going to love it. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon. Yes, here for another episode of The even more popular, the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in orthopedics. We're going to pivot a little bit this week. We have one of my gurus when it comes to orthobiologics and the things that we use to try and help our patients. That's Dr. John Knapp. He is a pain management specialist who is an expert in orthobiologics. He's in Wilmington, North Carolina at the Center for Pain Management and Orthobiologics. He's trained as an anesthesiologist, but he gave that up pretty quickly. But John, we are thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking some time out. Great to be here. You have uh, likewise been an inspiration for me uh, from afar. Uh, so I'm happy to be here and tell you everything I know, which is limited. It's a lot less than you would imagine. Well, you know, as we get older, the more we know about less things. And that's what makes us experts and masters through the things that we do. And I, you know, when it comes to orthobiologics in, in particular, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gray areas out there. There's a lot of things in the wild, wild west that are not great for patients. So we really want to educate our listeners today and really, you know, explain to them what's the good, what's the bad, what's the ugly. And I can think of no one better than you to help us to do that. So we're again so happy to have you. So look, man, we always start where it starts. So uh, we have some shared history a little bit. I, I, through the little research we've done, you went to Hingham High School. So I'm assuming you spent Harbor a bunch Man. of time in Massachusetts. <laughs> so tell us about that. Are you the first doc in the family? Were there other family members? What was it all about? Second and only doc. My dad was a, um, he was a general surgeon at Brockton Hospital. Uh, then, yeah. Moved up to Manchester, New Hampshire. So he was up there at the um, the Hitchcock uh, branch down in that uh, region, which is up for you. And um, but uh, he could not convince anyone except me to go into medicine. Yeah. Uh, and so and then I kind of followed my uh, my brother from Hingham High up to uh, Middlebury College in Vermont. Um, I probably wouldn't get in nowadays, but uh, they let me in back then and uh, stayed. Well, that that goes for the two of us. I wanted to break in there because yeah. I was I was at Tufts undergrad uh, half the time with you. I was there, what was breaking through in 82. I was at Tufts from 82 to 86. Did you do any sports while you were at Middlebury? Uh, I was in the uh, on the rugby team. You know, uh, <laughs> so that involves uh, <laughs> a lot of playing and some uh, good after, after uh, fun, too. 
Yeah, I was I was a little smarter. They actually gave me a helmet, uh, <laughs> unlike rugby okay. players. You know, I, I played lacrosse at Tufts, so just like you said. Uh, uh, I don't. I'm pretty confident I would not have made the lacrosse team now, as you know they just lost in the in the NCAA championship to Salisbury State. So they've had a tremendous uh, team, but we always made that trip up up to Middlebury, you know, for for the college lacrosse games. And I'm sure it was a great four years for you, great institution, great learning institution that set you right. But then you got. You got stuck up there, man. What was going on? Then you decided to go to university. You just traveled over to Burlington from there. Yeah, well, it's not a far, it's not not too much of a trip. And uh, again, they let me in. It's a great college, uh, you know, geared towards uh, geared towards primary care, actually. You know, so once I got into my rotations, um, I kind of went in with the thinking I was going um, going to be uh, following my dad into surgery. Uh, but um I think the pivotal moment for me, you know, with, with med school, starting my rotations was going up to Maine Medical Center, you know, and I don't know if you've been in Portland, but like the summers in Portland are beautiful, right? As are the winters, but gorgeous. And so, you know, I'm in my surgical rotation, orthopedics, and, you know, I'm looking out the window. I just picked up windsurfing and, you know, I'm looking out the window. It is beautiful. And I can get down if I did get out of here on time. I can get down and be on the water in like 15, 20 minutes and get in, you know, a session. And of course the chief resident is much more interested in looking at the x-rays from today's cases and going over <laughs> yeah. the trauma yeah. cases. So I realized uh, this might not be for me. And uh, so I, uh, I kind of, I, I kind of migrated into uh, anesthesiology, you know, with the ology, um, uh, you know, that that's the Greek root for easy. Um, so, uh, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, but I, you know, no, you're just, you know, passing gas is a big responsibility, man. You it know, is, it's like, it they're really, I mean, you don't get the great, you don't get the patient interaction like you do as a, as a doc who's seen patients in the office like you do now, but, uh, you know, but it is a great responsibility for sure. It is, but I did, I do, I do remember being in my, you know, third or fourth year of, um, of um of residency after you know uh after you know kind of deciding i wanted to be an anesthesia and it was kind of the end of my residency uh which was out in seattle so i decided to get across the country to go out to seattle and uh, i was kind of at the end thinking all right do i love this I, I like it do i love it and i think one of the um one of the one of the orthopedists who i've been working with all year you know knew him pretty well and he kind of says hey anesthesia hang another five liter bag for me you know i kind of that to me was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta think of something else. Uh, and so I found, I found uh, interventional pain management as a, as a fellowship that I wanted to do. So, so after my time in Seattle at Virginia Mason Medical Center, I went down to UC San Diego uh, and uh, did a fellowship in interventional pain. Uh, and that was in 90, uh, 97. Which was early. I mean, there wasn't that much interventional stuff going on at the time. And not. I guess there's, there are a couple pathways in, right? You could be a, a physiatrist, PMMNR versus anesthesia, both sort of work their way in. Um, but you sound, you, it sounded to me like you wanted to have more direct interaction, I did. you know, with patients rather than hiding behind the curtain and hanging that five liter bag for that doc. That's right. um, and, and so did you do, did you practice anesthesia at all for a couple of years before you moved back East? So I practiced uh, with the, uh, you know, it's 170, uh, person group at the time, uh, 170 anesthesiologists in, in San Diego. So it's a ASMG, Anesthesia Services Medical Group. Liked it, um, 
And uh, I told them, listen, I do not want to practice anesthesia. I really want to do pain. Um, they had me, uh, you know, doing some pretty easy cases at the surgery centers, but I was really kind of focused mostly on interventional pain. And, you know, remember back then, we didn't know about the opioid crisis. You know, I came out of a, a, a fellowship that was really, really geared towards, you know, not just the interventions with, with the needles, but also uh, with the concept back then that opioids were okay. This was before oh, yeah. we knew anything. We knew nothing yeah. about the, yep. the, the risks and pitfalls. And, you know, if you could imagine wiping out everything we know about the, the dangers of opioids now, we were told there were no risks. You know, as long as the patient is taken for a medical uh, reason, there are no risks. So that's, I came out of that class, okay? And we didn't really know any better until we knew better. So yeah, I worked yeah. in San Diego for three years. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating because I, you know, again, you and I are contemporaries and we were taught, look, what you do is you're going to hurt people, right? You, you have saws and drills and stuff and you need to make sure that people are out of pain, right? And you're going to use these opioids because they're inexpensive and they're really not addictive. And we just were, were caught up in this culture and the entire medical society and system doctors, nurses, hospitals, the regulatory boards all got caught up on it. And we just kept giving out more opioids. And then we just kept looking at each other and saying, you know, why are these people keep calling for more opioids, right? It's like the refills and then the belligerent people would be calling. And then it was like, it was, you were managing opioid addiction in addition to whatever else you were doing. If you were involved in surgery or intervention of any kind, you had to manage these these, these poor people that were stuck on meds that we started them on. Uh, and it was, I always say, you know, addiction chooses you. You don't choose addiction. This is a genetic predisposition that if you take this pill, you're probably going to be highly addicted to it and it's going to happen pretty quickly. So... Yeah. So it was a tough time. It really was a tough time. So it was interesting. So all right, for our listeners, okay. So you make, you finally, you get it. You're like, okay, this anesthesia thing's not for me. I love this pain management thing. I'm early on. I got the opioid crisis that's happening all around me. Not really sure what's happening, but I'm going to move to North Carolina and we're going to do this pain management center. And then let's, now let's sort of fast forward. So our listeners understand what do you do on a daily basis and who, what kind of patients are you seeing? So since about 2015, I've kind of figured out why I'm here, what I want to do, you know, what my medical calling really is. And that's kind of a combination of traditional uh, treatments, which are steroid-based, burning nerves when we need to, to arthritic joints in patient spines, um, putting in implants that are kind of like pacemakers for pain, spinal cord stimulators, Mixing that up with what I really love is uh, treating musculoskeletal injuries with patients' own cells, primarily PRP, which stands for platelet-rich plasma. So where we can take a person's blood, spin it down in the centrifuge, take the platelets out of the, out of the blood, and inject those into damaged joints, damaged tendons, around injured nerves. And you know, with that and some time and some additional kind of um, adjunctive therapies, um, we make people better with their own cells. And so my patient, um, my patient age ranges from, you know, low teens all the way up to high nineties. And so we are not just treating the, the uh, ultra elite athletes. We're treating, you know, the weekend warriors, we're treating mom and pop, we're treating teachers, firemen, you know, police, policemen, and everyone that's in our community. 
so treating them as as we would kind of treat anyone in our family with with things that are you know relatively well proven from a scientific basis not necessarily accepted by insurance as something they want to cover but you know reasonably you know price treatments that can get people feeling better sometimes without surgery so yeah no that's great so let's break all that down for the listeners because i want to spend a bunch of time really educating everybody about all of these various modalities so so first and foremost, I think it's fascinating that most pain management specialists have gotten out of the business of prescribing opioids and managing patients' pain with opioids, right? And so I'm assuming like in 2015 is the day you talk about it, but there was a transition that happened to say, okay, opioids are not good. There's a lot of ways that we can treat patients' pain, especially opioid-naive people. Yeah. People that have never Don't been stop. on opioids should never be started on them Don't for a stop. chronic condition, right? If you do, you, you'll never get off. So you've come up there and 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 we've all come up with solutions that can help with patients' pain that avoid the opioids, potentially avoid surgery, keep our patients moving, uh, and you know, provide them healthy solutions. So let's say so, so I love how you started with PRP. Great explanation. My mother Judy could understand that quite clearly. Um, and so PRP is one of the main modalities that most of us are using. And again, you're, you're taking your patient's own blood, so it's not being manufactured in a pharmacy somewhere. It's not getting manipulated and moved around. It's basically your own stuff that we mix and then we put back in, and these growth factors have been shown to help. So what do you tell your patients about the literature, right? Because there's so many old school docs out there that are still saying, don't do these orthobiologics, show me the randomized controlled trial. They don't work, they're too super expensive, but what do you tell your patients and what's been your professional experience? Right, so, you know, I I heard a great quote this weekend, I was at Toby, you know, the orthobiologic uh, meeting, and uh, one of the guys said, you know, there's, there's real good evidence-based uh, literature published that shows evidence-based medicine doesn't work, you know? So, um, you know, the, it's true. You can find a study to disprove any study if you look look hard enough. But for most of the simple things, let's just take a knee, you know, our options are basically steroid, okay? There's gel, we can use the gel shots. We can use PRP, we can use stem cells and we can have surgery. So let's just keep it like steroid, gel, PRP. PRP, beats gel and gel beats steroids. It's simple. And you don't want too many steroids. Steroids are not good for our tissue. They break down tissue. They break down cartilage, you know, at the doses that sometimes you, you know, you brutes in, in, in surgery do, you know, we, 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 it's uh we don't want that. We can do better. We know we can do better. And, and the studies that are out there now show that we can buy people more time using PRP compared to, to the gel shots. So for, if, for people, who don't get better with just a steroid shot, you know, once a year or something really, really infrequent, we got gel. If that doesn't work, then we can try the, the PRP. And again, you want to have this done by a person who knows what they're doing. They're using image guidance, just the way we do all of our injections. You want to have someone who's using ultrasound or using fluoroscopy, if possible and preferably, so that you know you're getting the stuff to go where it's supposed to go. Okay, great explanation on the PRP side of things. So I'll tell you a story. So I'm in, uh, by the way, Steve Sampson in the Toby conference, we want to give a big shout out 
Uh, unfortunately, I had to back out at the last second. I was scheduled to give a talk, but really one of my favorite worth of biologic conferences of the year. It pulls together experts that really help to try and really hone in on what the literature is and what the truth is as we try to use these. So what are you charging for a patient for a PRP injection for the knee? Well, it depends. It's kind of like I tell patients, it's like going to the car wash and I don't mean to dumb it down, but it's like it, depending on what you need and what your pathology of your knee is and how serious you want to get about it. You can press the easy button and um, you could have a PRP treatment. That's a thousand bucks, unless you're a teacher and you're getting a discount, unless you're a cop and you're getting a discount, unless you're a fireman, you're getting a discount. Or if you're a VIP veteran in pain, you're going to pay zero. Okay. So we participate with veterans in pain program that treats. Love all that. Love that. Treating our, treating our veterans with not just PRP, but stem cells. So we have some buy-in from industry. So from some of the kit manufacturers that give us kits, so we can, we can donate our time, you know, our talents to these, these, uh, these veterans. So it depends, but like in my practice with what we're doing, you're going to get a, you know, intra-articular PRP treatment about a thousand bucks. Now, if I take your plasma and concentrate it down, or if I add gel to it, or if I, um, uh, if I'm going into the meniscus and I'm going into tendons and I'm going to be doing a procedure that takes not five minutes or 10 minutes, it takes an hour. Well, that's going to be more. So you could probably get up to 1750 for a, a PRP injection, but you have to be comparing apples to apples. Yeah. So one of my favorite stories was in Vegas. I'm in a cab. I'm heading to the, the academy meeting and the cab driver says, oh, you're one of those orthopedic doctors, you know. I just had both of my knees injected and it was $5,000 a knee. And I think I'm starting to feel better. I took out a home equity loan for it and, you know, I'm on my way. And you just like, you cringe when you hear these stories. There's new, there's new corporations that are setting up these, these new uh, centers and shopping centers where you can go in and get crazy quotes on what it costs. So yeah. really for our listeners, identify someone that does this on a routine and regular basis Great advice on ultrasound guidance to make sure it goes into the right place and make sure that it's reasonably affordable and it's a number that something that you can afford, but that also makes sense to what seems out there uh, in the marketplace as well. So that's all right. So PRP, I think we covered that pretty well. So the next one up is, is the bone marrow aspirate concentrate, which is known as BMAC. You know, I, I am never, I have not gotten to the point yet when I can take a large needle stick it into somebody's pelvic bone, pull some stuff out in the office, and then go ahead and inject that. Now, I know that a lot of people are. Our dear friend, Donnie Buford, who is my other, you know, go-to guru guy, I do yeah. see that a lot, a lot of it happens in the operating room. That makes sense to me. A patient's under anesthesia. You have controlled environment. You can identify things and can sort of add it in. Are you doing any BMAC in the office? We are, and surprisingly, um, not as painful as people might think. So if you use um, a uh, enough of a local anesthetic and the patient is not too fluffy, obviously you can feel the posterior iliac crest very easily, most people. And if you use not even a ton of local, you know, 10 cc's of lidocaine or, or bupivacaine, ropivacaine, you know, whatever you want to do, go down to cortex, give it time, give it 10 to 20 minutes. You do not feel that needle going through the cortex and all you feel is the rapid pull when you're doing this kind of Philippe Ernegou technique, where you're doing a rapid pull of the of the syringe to get a highly pressurized aspiration of the marrow. That hurts like a toothache 
for a very brief period of time. And so depending on your thought process, most of us are uh, believe that there's benefit in taking out about 60 cc's and concentrating that down into anywhere from eight to 10 cc's, maybe a little bit less depending on the joint. Most of us think that by doing so, concentrating down that B, the bone marrow aspirate into BMAC, bone marrow concentrate, uh, we do a better job of, of getting a, a higher number of stem cells. So yeah, it's it's not as bad as it sounds and it can be done uh, just in the same way you would do almost any procedure in the office. Uh, surprisingly easy. I think Donnie's video is like a 10 minute bone marrow procedure. It's really that quick. And uh, you know, if you don't get too crazy and try this multi-site uh, aspiration technique, it's really very quick and painless uh, for the most part. Yeah, so for my listeners out there, if you're going to come and see the pro and you're going to see me in the office, I'm telling you right now, if you want a BMAC injection, you're going to Wilmington, North Carolina, or you're going to Dallas, Texas, and those yeah. are my two go-to people that do a lot of this, and that's what I would recommend. All right, what are you charging? I think that's important. Let the let the people know. Uh, BMAC injection, how much? So it comes comes back down to, like, what are we doing? Are we going, you know, like, intra-articular? Are we going to intra-articular, extra-articular, multiple so sources, you know, multiple sites? You know, three thousand ish for you know the BMAC, uh, up to five thousand. I've never needed to you know charge more than that. And uh, you know, I think if you hear a number that's kind of nationally the average for that, that's probably about what you would hear from a lot of places. I know you know someone who's as an expert as Donnie is. Uh, you know, I think he charges less. I know this because my son's gone to him. So well, um, I, I mean, I think that you know Donnie's very conscious of that. I think you know one of the things that. That I I love going to these orthobiologics conferences and these and these docs that are just so energetic and enthusiastic and passionate and they all get up there and they all kind of say the same thing. It's like, you know, this should be covered by insurance. Let's keep doing these studies so that eventually it's going to be covered by insurance. But the hard truth is, you know, it's just not going to be in the current in the current pathway. Of, of the autologous process of being able to take care of your blood, of your bone marrow aspirate concentrate. We definitely know that there's evidence that it works. There's no question. Anybody that says it doesn't is crazy. But at the end of the day, you know, CMS is not going to pay for this until there is some really big, arduous, you know, PMA study that's done at about $10 million per, per study with a randomized controlled trial to develop a CPT code. So probably where it's going to happen is through big pharma, right? Identify the growth factors that are in the PRP, that are in the fat stromal cells, that are in the bone marrow aspirate. Identify the pellet, you know, rather than the shotgun that works, and then they'll yeah. they'll pay for it to go through, and eventually it will get paid for. But you know, so I mean, do you? I mean, how old are you, John? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. So you know, unlikely. Would you agree not that my, in the, not my lifetime, not in your lifetime, that these types of modalities are going to be covered by insurance companies? So. Look, at the, we're limited at this point. I mean, what what will the insurance companies pay for? They won't even pay for the gel shots in Massachusetts. They'll pay for a short-acting steroid. Some will pay for a long-acting steroid. Yep. And then after that, it's like, sorry, you know, you're on your own. So, all right, that was that was good coverage. Do you do any do you do any stromal? Do you work any lipogems or do you do adipose tissue at all? So we uh, we we we've been limited by our uh, medical malpractice carrier, uh, and for that reason, we've kind of switched over to uh, the the one that's being used by Toby and ASIP right now. So they're a little bit more in line with the fat. So you know that using fat for stem cells requires the uh, you know the use of a miniature lipoaspiration, so a miniature you know liposuction. And so yes, certain um, 
malpractice carriers uh, don't really get that and think you're operating outside of your 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 field of expertise. So um, interesting. We have, uh, you know, I'm very forthcoming with everything new that I'm doing with my carrier, and I, I would advise any, you know, any other physicians who are considering adding any of these new new things to their practice to do so as well. Because at the end of the day, something goes wrong with a lipo aspirate, uh, and you haven't told your carrier about it. <laughs> it might yeah, die. no, it's for sure. Yeah. You know, and I and I don't want to give you a hard time, but you you have been using the S word, uh, which which is interesting. I mean, Scotty Bruder is another you know real go to person for me. Yeah. Uh, who's in is in the consulting industry and the regulatory side of things. So just for our listeners, there, there really is no orthopedic on-label on indication for the use of stem cells. That's so right. you know, have to be careful about it. whether you call them progenitor cells or orthobiologics. There's a lot of names for it. But beware when you go to a doctor on their website or on their, their thing if they're talking stem cells because there really is no direct indication in orthopedics for that. But I just want to make sure in case some, uh, you know, <laughs> somebody's listening wants to give us a hard time. All right. So, so those are the stuff that you're injecting. You had a really nice post uh, on HA uh, just yesterday or the day before I was looking at it. And there's some clinic out there charging like $5,000 for a single use Hyaluronic acid, which is the gel shots that we use, it's like a lubricant for the knee joint. That's crazy that it's people crazy. can get away with that. It's crazy. And I don't, I think it's a combination, as I was saying, it's it's that the patient said, yes, give me the gel. And the physician decided to use the, uh, you know, the most expensive version of the gel, a single shot uh, gel. And patient's high deductible insurance company has a high allowable for the J code that was submitted. So there's nothing illegal. It's just, is it really in the patient's best interest to let them spend their money on that particular single injection? I don't think so. No, that's, that's terrible. I mean, look, I can tell you right now in, in Massachusetts, you got to pay out of pocket for it for most insurance companies. It's like 300 bucks. I'm okay. Anybody that's spending four or $5,000 on this, is just being taken, you know, for a ride. So be careful about that, people. Make sure you check into various options that are available. Okay, let's talk about something that you and I share, which was a sort of a way in which we were introduced. And I'm going to start with this. And on the first day, God said, let there be light, right? Yeah. Healing with light. So not only uh, do you use these autologous ways or using patients' own uh, tissues to be able to help them? But you believe in, in external healing options as well. And one of the things that you're passionate about, as am I, is the use of laser for musculoskeletal injuries. So tell us about your experience with that, how you use it, and what's been what's been good for patients. Right. So we use laser. That was my first, you know, um, entry into what I call non-invasive orthobiologics. So things that have the same effect on the body as PRP, as bone marrow cat aspirate, as bone marrow concentrate. We are, we are triggering the same healing pathways with these external machine energy devices like laser, like shockwave, like EMTT um, in, in a way that we can provide uh, the patient a, a chance to get better without any even a needle going into the into the body. So my first entry was with laser. You and I share a uh, share the same manufacturer, different machines. I'm not going to mention the name. I'll let you do that. But 
my first device. It's my show, so you can. It's okay to be subjective, okay? Okay, this so is, so you can say so whatever. Anyway, you want. we had a competitor's product, okay, um, and that was our first laser, um, and it's it's pretty cool actually, and it's very versatile for for what it does. It's a class three B, so you know, class three B being less uh, powerful uh, than than the class four laser, but after having that for a while, of course, I'm on the internet and I see that MLS, you know, and so this robotic laser, and I don't know what they were showing, some athletic team that were using like the immediate case of the I wants, you know, and so I um, I saw that. I uh, uh, I don't think at that time you had started um, ortho lasers. So at that time, it was still kind of just this M6, looked pretty cool. Uh, so we had the other laser, we got the second laser. And of course, class four laser, two wavelengths, you know, some that's going to, you know, improve blood flow, that's going to reduce healing, you know, trigger the trigger the healing responses. That for me, combined with the fact that you can go in and program your XY coordinates to, you know, match your patient's needs and then leave the room and do something else. That was like, oh my God, this is this is beautiful. Like patients don't want me sitting there talking to them. I don't want to be sitting there talking to them. They just want to get the laser. And so that to me was just a real, you know, turning point in how I thought like, wow, I, I can expand my, my knowledge and my brain and my, you know, my smarts to patients without having to spend every single minute of my time with them. And I'm giving them, you know, great opportunities for healing. So, so how are you using it? Which patients are you using it for? It doesn't like it, it ranges from, um, you know, post uh, procedure, you know, uh, shoulder post procedure. We do a lot of spine work. So anybody who's had a spine treatment, you know, we want them to have a, a brief period where they're having an inflammatory response so that that can be the first step of the healing process. But the minute that stops, you know, seven to 10 days are coming back to the office and they're going to get weekly sessions as a part of that you know, $1,000, that's built into that price. They're going to get laser treatments for three or four weeks. And um, so spinal patients, uh, hip, knee, anybody, we see, believe it or not, we see some patients who've just had surgery on their knees, hips, or shoulders, and they come to see us because there's no ortho laser franchises down here. So, you know, post-procedure, helping a patient who's having trouble with swelling or pain or restricted range of motion after surgery, um, great case use for laser. Um, I've used it on a guy with trigeminal neuralgia. I've used it on a guy with, um, uh, you know, non-healing ulcers. I've used it on a patient after seeing what you did during COVID. I have a setting on my machine that says Sigmund protocol. <laughs> and so it's, you know, I've used it on a patient, uh, a patient's wife who I was seeing for something. I was seeing the patient. I said, where's your wife? She always comes with you. She had terrible post-COVID, uh, you know, pneumonia and was not getting better. Three or four treatments using your protocol. I mean, in incredible. That was groundbreaking breaking work that you did. I was I was blown away by that. So kudos on that. So yeah, really, there's, that. There's, there's very few places where I wouldn't use it, especially for someone, you know, if I do a, a rotator cuff uh, procedure with PRP, BMA, BMC, uh, the last thing in the world you're going to want to do is subject that patient to shockwave. They're so inflamed. They just can't really tolerate much. So the more inflammatory a case is, the more likely I am to apply uh, laser. 
you know, the more patients just come in with a chronic pathology, that'll be a part of what we do. We might combine it with some shockwave and uh, electromagnetic therapy. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of like amazing things that have happened, right? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery for the first time in, in eight years revised their guidelines for the treatment of knee arthritis. They took a look at the literature, they did a deep dive, and guess what? Laser wound up on the list. So AAOS yeah. now uh, basically um, states that laser treatment is a viable option for the treatment of knee osteoarthritis. The Centers for Disease Control just updated their guidelines for opioid prescribing this past April. It is now uh, a really a very important document that gives primary care doctors and people alternative options. And they literally list laser in for acute, subacute, and chronic conditions such as back pain. So laser is now also validated by the, the Centers for Disease Control. So you gave a wonderful description. People always ask me, hey, doc, you know, how does this laser work? And I think if you think about you talked about COVID, right? People think about the cytokine storm, those cytokines, which are these proteins that create inflammation. The laser blocks the formation of those, and it basically helps to eliminate this inflammatory process, which means less swelling, less pain. And that's the concept for ortholaser. We took the MLS M6 laser to start, and then the M8 laser came out, which is more powerful than the M6. The only way you can get that's through ortholaser. Uh, but you know, we're, we have a successful franchise across the country, and we're growing, and it's uh, from, from doctors like yourself that have taken the plunge to try something new and different and have really amazing results and be able to share that. So thank you for your work within laser and your ability to share that uh, with our patients as well. Yeah. So look, John, I think we're, we're coming about to a close at this point. This was a really tremendous episode because I really, it just drives me crazy when I hear these stories about how patients are taken advantage of by these doctors really for their personal financial gain rather than what's in the best interest of patients. So we've educated them on PRP. We've educated them on BMAC. We've talked about laser. I know you do a bunch of other modalities with shockwave therapy and other things as well, but I wanna thank you for being a true leader within the world of orthobiologics and really doing your part to educate doctors and patients in the benefits. My pleasure. My pleasure. I uh, hope we can get together at a meeting sometime again real soon. I was uh, I thought I would see you out there, Toby. So I uh, now I know why you weren't there. And maybe uh, catch at the next IOF or, uh, or one of those meetings. You know, no, for sure, John. Just we're gonna we're gonna bring you back on as you get more and more stuff going, and let us. Uh, well, I love these sessions when we can really educate our listeners and our watchers now on our YouTube channel. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund. Hashtag Follow the Fro host of the ortho show till next time.